Hello, everyone, and welcome to United We Stand. I'm your host, Jim Feeney, and this show airs every week with, hopefully, insightful commentary about the world around us and how we build a stronger, more sustainable America. You can also find my podcast at uh, com, and subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and pretty much anywhere you would get your podcasts. So with America being such a divided nation politically, close elections seem to have become the norm. The 2000 presidential election between George W. Bush and Al Gore came down to 600 votes in one Florida county. Do we all remember the hanging chads? At issue was how to count votes and what counted as a vote, which brought our entire election process front and center into the national spotlight. Ultimately, the U.S. Supreme Court had to decide on election law the result of which gave the White House to George Bush. Fast forward to 2020, and it seems that not much has changed. American voters still seem equally split, and the vote was very close in a few swing states with Joe Biden, the apparent winner for president. The results of the votes are being challenged by President Trump with several lawsuits on on the election process currently winding through the courts. The U.S. Constitution clearly gives the power to Um, decide most electoral process to the states. The brilliant reason for this um, is just another of those pesky checks and balances the founders put into the Constitution that helps prevent the undue concentration of power. The hodgepodge of different state rules that's resulted in a runoff election for the two Senate races in Georgia really has our attention as well. I had no idea that Georgia even had runoff rules before this. So here we are again with the peculiar rules of one state, It'll decide the balance of power in this country. Those of you who have been listening to me for a while know that I'm a big proponent of decentralization of power. My book, Locally Grown, The Art of Sustainable Government, is all about that. Still, there are probably improvements that could be made at the state level to give voters more confidence that elections have been conducted fairly. Whether it's the type of election systems that we have uh, that are more secure, like maybe new blockchain voting systems, or whether we should just go to all manual voting to prevent electronic hacking risks. These are large questions the state and local officials should be asking each other. We need our state and local laboratories to focus on process improvement and sharing best practices. And on that note, we're going to focus on one of those election scientists in our local laboratory where I live in Indian River County. Um, so I'd like to welcome Leslie Swan, who is the election supervisor for Indian River County, and Shane. Yeah, Shane Bias. Shane, welcome, welcome here to United We Stand. Glad to glad to have you here. I think the what you do and what you just did is a very timely discussion here for um, our audience. And before before we start, um, I just want to give a couple of quick you know uh, metrics from the the uh, election supervisor website that uh, that Le- Leslie's in charge of. So here in Indian River County, we have uh, 124,586 registered voters. And in 2020, uh, this election, we had 98,192 ballots cast for a voter turnout of 78.8%. Now, that, that seems like it's pretty good from the national. How, how does that stack up on the national average? Now, that's very good. We're up about two points from 2016. Yeah, and this is a voting county anyway. We're sounds like we're always kind of uh, above the uh, the average for turnout in national elections. In that, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so Donald Trump uh, took the the county by sixty uh, percent to thirty eight percent to Joe Biden, and then a host of other names that I don't even know existed. I mean, I knew about the Libertarian candidate, but uh, Rocky De La Fuente and Gloria Lariva from and Howie Hawkins from the Green Party. There's a there's a ton of other presidential candidates that really didn't add up to more than a percent or so. Um, but with that, Leslie, uh, you've been sitting in this position for a while. Give us a little background and, you know, sort of how, where you're from and how you got to this point to be in charge of elections in Indian River County. Uh, I actually grew up in this county and stayed here uh, after graduating from college. My husband was from uh, Miami, so I said I did my time down there for about 16 <laughs> years, but My family has lived here the whole time, so then we moved back in about 1997 or 99, and um, so I had a friend that was the supervisor of elections, and um, someone was leaving her office kind of suddenly, and she turned to me and she said, you know, can you help out? And I started out in a part-time position in 2004 and um, kind of worked my way up, and then in 2011, 
the supervisor had to step down. She had some uh, health issues. And so I was one of 13 people that put my name in the hat to mm-hmm. be appointed by the governor. And I got appointed in 2011. And then I had to run in 2012. Um, so I've been the supervisor for nine years and I've worked at the office for 16. Wow. So you've seen a lot of stuff coming oh, and going. Oh, lots and, of changes have and happened. A ton of change. We're going to talk about some of those changes uh, a little further. So, uh, Shane, how, how did you get here? So whenever I graduated from college, I went to Marshall University, decided to move back to my hometown, which is Sebastian. And so when I moved back down here, I was, you know, obviously a college graduate, I was looking for a job, any job that I could potentially do. So what I ended up doing was looking online and we had an elections job was posted by the supervisor's office. So I was like, well, I like elections. I was always heavily involved in elections. So I was like, let me apply for that job. And I started out in the warehouse, um, moving the equipment around, helping with the programming of the equipment. Mm -hmm. And now I do public relations and um, election worker special. So I handle all the election workers and do the um, website, social media, things of that nature. Cool. So it sounds like you came from the bottom up Kind of like Leslie, start here, and then before you know it, you're you're involved in like the the, the big decisions. Um, so Leslie, um, what was the 2000 election like here? Now I know you weren't in in that position that you are now the election supervisor, but you were living here in Florida, and Florida was front and center national news, and it, it just came down to that Palm Beach County and. The hanging chads. I mean, what was it like here during that time? I don't remember a lot of it, but I do remember that they asked my husband to be on one of the counting teams. And they had all these teams set up and um, they were going through. You've seen all the pictures on Mm -hmm. on TV, holding up the punch cards, trying to decide whether it was actually punched out for a candidate or whether it was dimpled or hanging. Mm -hmm. And um, so and. I guess what happened was the court finally decided, you know, stop the counting. And then they declared George Bush the winner. Wow. So it really didn't even get through the entire manual process. No, not that I remember. Oh, my God. What a, <laughs> what a nightmare. And, um, you know, our, our Constitution gives this power to the states and then the states to local governments to determine the fate of the nation, at least at the federal level. That's amazing. So we have this hodgepodge of rules. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, how things have changed since, you know, when you started. And was it 2011 you were? Appointed, yeah. Appointed. Well, we've well, we, had. Was it all manual then? Well, we've had three different voting systems, basically, since I've been in office. You know, right after the hanging chads, uh, the legislature changed the rules and said, you know, we're, we're going to do away with punch cards. And here in Indian River County, they went to a touchscreen machine. Mm-hmm. And those touchscreen machines worked fine. But then they changed their minds again. And in 2008, they said that everyone had to go to a paper ballot. Um, so we had optical scan units. And uh, the only exception to that was um, we had to have one touchscreen machine at every polling location for voters with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it kind of morphed into, okay, that had no paper ballot for the touchscreen machine. So then they changed the rules again and said that everyone had to vote with some kind of paper ballot, which I think is wonderful because yep. now you have something to go back and recount. You have right. something tangible that you can recount in the event that that's necessary. Mm-hmm. So with the now, so describe what we have now for voting technology or how how did we vote? Okay, Uh, we have an optical scan unit with Mm -hmm. a paper ballot and then the voters with disabilities, um, the the people that vote the regular paper ballot, all of the races are printed on the ballot. And what you do is uh, fill in the bubble. Fill in the bubble. I did that. I remember that. And I I was a a mail-in voter, but I think I I was a mail-in voter that actually brought it to the, your office and said, here's my vote. But um, so the ballot is filled out and then scanned. Right. Into the optical into scanner. Into the optical scanner. And is there a receipt? that? Cause no, I, no, no receipt. No. Um, it, it gives you um, kind of a recap of what you voted on there. Or if you made a mistake, 
it will kick it back and tell you, okay, maybe you overvoted on a race Mm -hmm. and it will tell you what race, or if you believe it or not, people mark the ballots wrong. Instead of filling in the bubble, they'll circle the candidate's name. So if there's nothing in that target field where the bubbles are, it gets kicked back as well. And it thinks it's a blank ballot and you have to go back and remark it. Now, the voters with disabilities have uh, a way that they can vote unassisted. Uh, It's called the express vote. Uh, You can vote using a touchscreen. You can put headphones on and it will read you the entire ballot. Mm -hmm. Um, You can hook up a sip and puff machine, rocker paddles if, you know, you're paralyzed. Um, Anybody can vote unassisted. But it is basically a long, thin piece of paper, and when you put it into the machine, it kind of marks barcodes. And then that same piece of paper, when it comes out, gets fed into the same optical scan machine as the regular ballots do as well. Now, now why wouldn't a receipt be provided? Because that seems to me like a normal uh, auditing function. If I voted for something or I you know, made a choice, if you had any question— I have a receipt that basically says I voted like this and I might want to go back if I had a way to do it, to, to see that my vote was counted, right? That sounds to me would be a, you know, not that we change it, but you could at least say, you know, something's wrong here. Cause I voted for clearly voted for pre- president, you know, Joe for Biden for president, but it looks like you had me for Trump or not at all. Like what happened there? Well, I think the reason why they don't have receipts is because they don't want people saying, okay, I'll pay you $25. You give me that receipt and show that you voted a certain way or that you voted at all. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the reasoning why they don't want receipts. So fraud. Yeah. And it's a secret ballot, too. Mm -hmm. So even if we gave you a receipt, we don't know what ballot is yours particularly because there's no name on it. So even if you had a receipt, you can't come back and see your ballot specifically Mm -hmm. because you would not know which one would be yours. So it really comes down to, you know— Kind of like the way the election by the Constitution defines it. On this day, you will have a vote, and that's the end of it. It's not a week worth of voting or two months worth of voting. What you did on that day can't go back and change that. Or at least, the, I think the founders maybe even knew that 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 would have been rife ripe for uh, for nefarious actors. Um, so, so describe to me the a little bit about. Uh, well, first of all. What exa- what voting machines do we use? What what are the, what's the system that uh, we use in in, in uh, Indian River County? It's called ESNS, they're Election the, Systems and Software. They're the eight hundred pound gorilla in that business. I, I understand. You know, there's three major systems. Dominion is one of their competitors that seems to be having a lot, some problems with uh, um, some of their software. I know that they're they're the subject of a couple of lawsuits from President Trump, but ESNS is. They've been around for a long time, and I think they have, you know, half the market share, maybe. How do you find them well, to work with? In Florida, um, we can only buy as an election system something that's on the state contract. So they test the equipment themselves. And so we only had a choice of two, Dominion or ESNS. Um, what we used to have prior uh, was Sequoia, and they basically went out of business, Mm -hmm. and Dominion took them over. But we were very lucky here in Indian River County um, that we, the Board of County Commissioners provided me the money, and we had the foresight to switch it out before the 2018 gubernatorial election. Because Mm -hmm. if you remember what happened then, we had three statewide recounts. And um, the only two people that had that Sequoia system were Palm Beach County and Indian River County. We upgraded before that election. They didn't. So when we had those three statewide recounts with our new equipment, we could basically uh, process the recount for all three races at the same time. The Sequoia equipment, you had to run all of the ballots through for one race, then do it again, and then do it again for the third race. I think they maybe even had a fourth recount. Oh, my word. So they never met the deadline. And ultimately, the governor removed the supervisor of elections there. Brenda Snipes? No, she was um, Susan Booker. Susan Booker, okay. That was in Palm Beach County. They also had a new supervisor in Yeah, that's, that's been a problematic uh, county in Florida, it seems like, mm-hmm. for a, a while. It's a lot of people there, tons, mm-hmm. but um, well, they've I, been some subject of uh, alleged election tampering and fraud and so on. To, they had two good elections. They, mm-hmm. The governor appointed two really good people to fill those positions, and 
you know, they had their work cut out for them. In Palm Beach County, the new supervisor had to put in a new voting system. She had to put in a new check-in system. Um, what else did they have? They, like they lost their IT person. Yeah, lost, yep. So she they lost had, their IT person? Mm-hmm. Oh, so God. They had it's a, like a death sentence. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who had been there for 30-some-odd mm-hmm. years. So, you know, they had a lot going on. So I think both of those counties had really successful elections. So I, I want to get a little wonky here and uh, sort of go through, at a high level anyway, the, the voting process. Because I think when most Americans think about voting, it's like, oh, I just mark it on the ballot. And then they don't think about what happens after that. And I know there's, there's plenty of stuff that happens to the lead up of, of voting uh, before you even get there, probably months a- ahead of time. And then there's the day of voting. And then there's post voting. And then God forbid that there are any questions about that. There are recounts and so on and so forth. So kind of walk me through the process, I guess, starting with voter registration, because that's really important. I know that's a subject of some uh, controversy in the United States where, where the allegedly dead people are voting in Nevada and other states. And, you know, keeping track of who lives in your county that's eligible to vote when, especially in a place like Florida, when we have snowbirds, people coming in and out all the time. Um the registration uh, is part of it. So is the voter registration system also ESNS or is that a separate system in the state? No, we have a statewide voter registration system, which is great to have in Florida. We moved to that and I think it was around 2006. And because before that, we would never really know if you were registered in Indian River County and Miami-Dade County at the same time. Ah, yeah. So when they went to the statewide voter registration database, when you move from one county to the next, you're re- removed from the former county and moved into. So there's a master new- database of all that. Yes. That uh, must have eliminated all kinds of, you know, mistakes and, you know, and worse. It it, it does. And um, most of the people register to vote um, when they go to get their driver's license. Mm-hmm. Um, within the last year, I, I looked up this information, 49% registered at the DMV. And so they get their driver's license and then um, their information is suspended to us electronically. And that's where we get your signature Mm -hmm. um, that we need to have so that we can verify, you know, when you go to vote, when you sign a a candidate's petition, that kind of thing. So the the, the signature match is coming from what you used on your license. Right. Okay. Okay, The second uh, most uh, 28 percent is of the people that register to vote do it online. Mm-hmm. And we just started online voter registration, was it 2018, 17? And uh, we didn't have that before in Florida. There is a catch, though. You, In order to register online, you have to either have a driver's license or a Florida ID because we need a copy of your signature. Yep. And, you know, that's your authentic signature because you're signing it in front of someone. Yep. And so they, they can suspend it onto our office. Um, then um, 11% register by mail, 7% come in the office, and 5% come from those third-party voter registration mm-hmm. agencies. So that's the gold standard then. The state made the decision to, all right, uh, you know, we want to have distributed power among the locations, uh, the different um, uh, counties. However, voter registration, because of what you just cited, is like, hey, you could be living in Miami, be registered there and be registered in Vero Beach and just you moved and you forgot. Right. Then you have people who die and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. So the state has the infrastructure to manage that and have a system of records. So you just log into that. And so when I when I log into um, before this interview, I took an opportunity to go through the website and check some of the processes. And I found that. I could log in and, and see that that I voted. Uh, so there's a record that I showed up and I cast a ballot. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. I'd, it would be cool if I could see, you know, who I voted for. But you gave a good reason why you wouldn't want to do that because. Yeah, um, yeah if someone hacked into the system, they'd see who everybody voted for. Well, exactly, exactly. So um, and then uh, you know, I went through the registration process and it was pretty seamless. And then I figured, all right. I'm going to put my, being a former technology guy, I'm going to put my black hat on, my white hat hacker on. Like, let's see what some very simple ways that I could, I could try to hack around the system. I said, all right, I am, I'm logging in um, and, and doing voter registration for my dad who lives in Indian River County. All right. 
So, because you asked that question, are you registering here for yourself or someone else? Or you request, it was a ballot request. It wasn't yeah. registration. Yeah. So um, I said, oh, I'm registering for someone else. Went through that as name and address. What's your relationship? Boom, boom, boom. Okay, so far, so good. Then it asks, then it asks for an email for the voter. And I said, well, let's put in my email because I want to get that ballot for Herb Feeney. And then it asks for, you know, address and phone number. So if I'm a white hat hacker, who, I got to pick someone. So let's say I pick a name randomly that I could find easily. It took me about two seconds to find my father's address and his date of birth online. Mm-hmm. Boom. That takes no quite, no time at all. So, all right, I put the name in, the date of birth, where they live. And I'm going to remember, I'm a nefarious actor. I'm not the son here. And then it says, all right, where, what's the email? I put in an email that's my email, not the voter email. I'm thinking, oh, I gotcha, I gotcha, gotcha. And then eventually I got to the end of the process and it says, um, what did it say? It basically said, uh, okay, we need to, we need verification from the voter uh, that you're okay doing this because something didn't match. Uh, I forget what it was. And then it says, all right, here's this. You have to print this out. Get the voter's signature on it and then send it into you guys. And I felt, I said, oh my God, thankfully. There's, at least for that test, that hacking test, you guys passed with flying colors. So with the voter registration system, when I'm, when I'm going online or one of our, you know, our constituents here in New York is going online, they're really kind of logging into the state system with just the, the local interface. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's All where right. it goes up to the state. And then you have to either provide the last four digits of your social security number or your driver's license number. So they it they go up and the state verifies all of mm-hmm. this information. You know, they have access to the Social Security Administration, the uh, Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles. And they're bringing in all that mm-hmm. data. To, so that's great. Right. And mm-hmm. then the same thing with if, if someone dies. I mean, w- we get that information on a daily basis to our office, people that have registered to vote, people that have made changes to their information, because all of those cards come out locally from our office. But let's say that um, if you die and you die in the state of Florida, most mm-hmm. of the time we know that before it's even in the newspaper. Um, so we can remove them from the voter how, rolls. How would you know that? Be- the state, because people apply for a death certificate. So once they apply for the death certificate, oh. then the information filters down to us. But it's quick. It's very quick. It is. The problem is if you die out of state mm-hmm. because a family member usually doesn't remember to come into our office and say, okay, well, here, here's this death certificate of hers. And, you know, that's the only way we can locally remove them from the rolls. Um, but there is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the ERIC program. No. It is a um, data matching uh, service where they take the voter registration rolls of all of the states that have bought into this program Mm -hmm. and they mix it all together and they try to find matches to see if you're registered in two different places Uh or if you, we have you on the rolls, but then you're somewhere else and maybe you were on the rolls up there and you had died. So Florida has just joined that. We're the 29th state to join it. Now, I don't know why every state is not forced to join it. Now, it costs some money, but, you know, the way the government wastes money, what what, what would hurt, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> Because this is how we elect people, as we're seeing now in the news, is the most important thing we do as citizens in this mm-hmm. country. And they... They have this all together, this Mm -hmm. whole system that they have. And, you know, it took years because our association for the supervisors of elections in Florida have been asking the legislature, you know, join this, join this, join this. And so finally, um, they we went ahead and joined it and they've started the process. We're not fully involved with it yet, um, but it, it involves some work. And um, notifying the people that we get a clue that, you know, hey, you might be registered in two different places. Where do you want to be registered? So that's really going to help with cleaning up the rolls. But we also here in our county, it's usually about four times a year we do our list maintenance activities. And by law, you have to do it every two years, but we do it probably four times a year. And there's different ways you can do it, but what we usually do is, um, go get from the post office the national change of address, those little yellow stickers mm-hmm. that yep. someone said, you know, I've moved 
And we scrub that against our voter rolls, and then we send out cards, and we, you know, verify, have you moved? Have you not moved? Mm-hmm. And those are ways that we can keep our voter rolls clean. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Well, we are going to take a break here in, um, very shortly and be back here with uh, Leslie and Shane and talk more about uh, the, the voting process in, in Indian River County on the day of voting and um, the, the sort of the aftermath of that. So stick with us. We'll be back in uh, a minute. We're back. This is Jim Feeney with United We Stand, and today our guest is Leslie Swan and Shane. What's your last name again, Shane? Bias. Bias, like B-I-A-S? Correct. Like you have a political bias, Shane? <laughs> no, I don't make my last name. I was born okay. into that. That's a wonderful last name. There's this great uh, basketball player from Maryland that uh, named Len Bias mm-hmm. who died uh, tragically in the late 80s, and he was going to my favorite team, the Boston Celtics, and he never made it there. Right. Out of college, but uh, anyway, so Shane, um, we were talking on the break a little bit about um, some the audit that you needed to do or you're required to do um, as as part of the new election process. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so we we audit after every election. Uh, we have this new program. It's called Clear Ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we ran all ninety eight thousand plus ballots through Clear Ballot, but you have to do it twice because it's. The but, two page so ballot. Just just to be clear, you use uh, the election system from ESNS. As the primary, uh, you know, that's what people vote on. But to audit it using another company's election system and checking the results. Correct, yes. So two totally different things. Um, So the vote tabulation originally comes from ES&S. After the election's over, we bring it to the clear audit system. And we run everything back through that again. And again, it's we had a two-page ballot this time, so we ran 98,000 ballots, put two pages of that, so you double that. All through the clear ballot system, and our audit came out. How long did that, uh, did that take? It's it's a long process. We you know because we have to uh, between the thirteen days we had of early voting and all the vote by mails. So every time you know we, we'd scan through the uh, ESNS equipment, we would then run it through the clear ballot. So we had a, a um, one of our interns specifically to the clear ballot running that on a daily basis. So as soon as we got it off the the one machine, we'd go straight to the next one. And, and the clear audit system is not mandatory. We bought that be, just to have people have a, a sense of confidence in, in mm-hmm. our results. Uh, not every county uses that at all. And and it costs some money, but, you know, we had the money in our budget and I felt like that is something that we could show everyone that, yes, our results are accurate because it's a totally different system that's not connected in any way to any type of the internet. It's just, you know, standalone Manual. scanners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a lot of extra work to do that. So how uh, that's great. So we so Indian River County is going above and beyond uh, the required election law to make sure they get it right. And that's got to come at a cost. So how much how much does the county spend on election hardware and software? Um, or Like how much did it cost when we bought it? And then. How much is it costing us to maintain it on, a, on an annual basis? Okay. Our, um, our voting system, when we bought it in 2017, was $950,000. Almost a million bucks. Yes. Wow. Yeah, we came in actually under budget because I thought it was going to be about $1.3, $1.4. And so we came in under budget on that. But as far as the maintenance every year, it is about... Almost ninety-eight thousand dollars a year. About a hundred grand, so it's about ten percent mm-hmm. annual maintenance, and right. that's software upgrades. Is there any consulting services that come with that? Or oh yeah, they they come and service the mm-hmm. equipment. And actually, I have been super impressed with ESNS. I mean, we would they 
once a year they come and do a, a complete maintenance on the equipment. But they had uh, reps that stopped by during the election. Do you need, you know, a tune-up on uh, the high-speed scanners? And mm-hmm. never have I seen anyone from any vendor come in, you know, that was selling voting equipment or we had installed that would come and do that. That's that's excellent because, I mean, we can see, I mean, right now where voting systems from Dominion are coming into question, and I'm sure they're a fine company. Uh, I'm learning about this process because, you know, of what I do and the research and, and so on of what I'm trying to, to bring to the audience. But um, maybe they weren't doing that. Uh, they are because they the, the memory card wasn't loaded or it was a manual process. And and if you don't have all of this down, so that, that tells me there's a lot of lead up to Election Day. You know, it's like any good performance, a, a rock concert or a, a ballet. No one ever sees the practice that goes into, you know, pulling that off. So, you know, how how long are you sort of gearing up? What, what is like the, the six month prior to November 4th look like for you guys? Well, you know, it's like you said, it's a process. It, it It's more than six months. We do this like years in advance. Mm-hmm. and. You know, people forget you have to start out with the candidates. You have to qualify the candidates. All the local candidates qualify with our office. So there's a lot that's involved with that. You know, they're submitting uh, campaign reports. Then you have to, once you get the candidates, you have to lay out the ballot. Then you have to have the ballots printed. Mm -hmm. Then you have to program all the machines. Then you have to test all the machines, which that's another thing. That's all open to the public. And once we do our tests and it's accurate, the machines are locked. So that when they go out to the polling place, they have seal numbers on them. When they're at the polling place, the poll workers have to check the seals and make sure that no one's tampered with anything. Um, There's this, and then Shane has a huge part of it because, you know, you need people to help you to run those polling places. So Shane can talk about all that goes into the training and the materials. So we got, we got the lead up to to the election, which is years in advance. You've got all kinds of stuff going on because as reminding the audience, elections just aren't all about president. We have local officials that are happening every couple of years and then they stagger these elections. So every two years you're, you're doing, you've got an election and then it takes probably a year to get prepped for that. So you're just always working. You're always on. We work more than one day a year, yeah. <laughs> like I hear all the time. That's right. Uh, but for the, the poll worker perspective of this, you know, in, in this past year, we had four elections this year. Um, and so what we like to prepare six months a year in advance because we only had a short turnaround. We had a, a September election this year and we had a November election this year. So that's a very little time to flip all the equipment and all the materials and do training and stuff for the for the poll workers. Um, so we have to, you know, first we, we hire all of our election workers. Um, due to the COVID coronavirus, we lost a good majority of poll workers in March, and uh, they just, you know, did not want to come out and, and partake in, you know, what seemed to be an mm-hmm. interesting time. And then in August, we lost almost 100. And mind you, we only employ for the August election about 250 poll workers. Um, so we lost almost half of our, our staff. Now, that didn't equate to half the workers not showing up. I had others trained up, so we were at full capacity. But half the people I usually work did not want to work because of the coronavirus. Mm. So you have to you had to plan that into this, you know, that, that kind of a curveball in a sense. And we had to do other things such as buy sneeze guards, socially distance all our facilities six all, feet apart. All cost and, money. And all that stuff, um, you know, were different. We had to find Lysol wipes and hand sanitizer, and it was hard to find. You had to make a lot of, you know— a lot of friends at Walmart and or Publix, so they'll let you know when it's here so you can go get it. Um, and then we do that. We have to pack all the supply. You know, each location has a different set of supplies. Um, so you're talking about a black wheel case. You're talking about uh, blue transfer cards, steel cards. So you're talking about equipment, but about paperwork as well. As she said, the audit forms, we have to have all the audit logs for each location with all the seal numbers on there. Also extra seals so they can seal it all back up at the end of the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like you never realize even the pens that the voters are voting with. These are That's time and effort. You People have to spend. How many pens do you need? Because the coronavirus, it's one pen, one voter. So we had to, we had wow. to increase the pen capacity at every location because now we now we are sanitizing it's not like we just bought like millions of pens we sanitize the pens sanitize but like the supermarket exactly sanitizing the shopping so carts. it was a uh, you know it was an election but the added 
coronavirus stuff that we had to you know implement as well. Um, so it was a long process. We hired our we had almost 275 poll workers. We have to do poll worker training, and that usually comes about a month before. And it's a three hour training course uh, for the majority of them, but it's all a longer training course for our clerks and our assistant clerks that have to you know they're kind of like the managers of the site. They've been here, done this for a while. Now, one, now one of the things I've noticed with poll workers, and I'm sure Indian River County is not unusual in that nationwide, but probably because of the demographics here, they're mostly older folks. Um, do you see that trend just continuing or do you see more younger folks wanting to be poll workers, mm-hmm. be, you know, so that we can rotate the inventory and keep a, you know, keep a nice, even demographic out there is, is that change or is it just, uh, not all, really all older folks? We know? got a lot, we got a, a little bit of younger folks due to the coronavirus. I think they saw it on TV mm-hmm. that we need more poll workers. So they were more involved, but ultimately I think that the, the younger demographic, which you know, like my people, my age, they're working for a living. They have jobs, they have families, they're in school. Yeah. Um, so they're doing stuff. And this is a long period. You're, you're there from 6 a.m. until about 8, 8.30 p.m. all day. You cannot leave. And it's, a lot of people have dogs or families. They can't leave their family for that long so period So it really of makes time. sense. So maybe as we, th- we think about our communities across this country, and I, I think of Indian River County here, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're local, right? And we have our jobs to do. And maybe just one of the jobs that makes sense for older folks to do that because they have the bandwidth to mm-hmm. do it, mm-hmm. right? And the... You know, they're just engaged in it. So, Leslie, you know, thoughts? I think one of the biggest changes for this election had to have been different groups were sending out the applications to get a vote-by-mail ballot. The applications were pre-filled out. The mm-hmm. only thing they had to do was sign their name and date it. We were inundated by those. Mm-hmm. Never The most we've ever sent out was about 29,000 absentee ballots. Yep. We mailed like 55,000. And so that was something we were changing on the fly because we do all of that in-house. So we printed every one of those ballots in-house for the mail ballots. We had to stuff every single one of them. We had them uh, bring them all to the post office and you think, okay, they're gone. Then they all come back Mm -hmm. and we have to verify every one of those signatures on, you know, everyone that comes back to us. So I basically doubled the size of my staff because if you didn't keep up with that, you would have drowned. So we stayed late at night. We made sure that every day we were caught up on the ballots that came back. And you mentioned that you uh, delivered yours in person. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. 23,000 people dropped them in drop boxes. No kidding. And we only had three drop boxes at our early voting site, but majority was at our office. They just walked in and they, just, we had a twenty four seven drop box. We were emptying it four or five times a day. Never have I seen anything like that before. So I, I have to commend my staff. It, the work that they did was phenomenal. Our first opening was twenty one thousand. That's the sound of hundreds of my listeners cheering for you all. Thank yeah, you. No, they they did an amazing job. And uh, you know, I'm you hear about these memory cards not being put into machines mm-hmm. and extra votes being found. I don't know how that happens. I mean, we have a system when we we have a tracking on all of the uh, thumb drives. So we know when we get back, if we're missing one, mm-hmm. uh, when things are modemed, we know, you know, which cards have come through the modem. I, I don't know how that happens. Right. So, so it, by your estimation, you, you know, you've got now, I'm guessing you think this is a best practice process, what you have here. No, um, mm-hmm. um, sure. So Indian River uh, election supervisor, I think if we had to compare it, at least from the stuff that I've been reading, we're way above the average. This is there. This is a, a, a standard that others should aspire to. Um, but we'll see if that happens. So um, tell me a little bit about, you know, how you think what you do now is going to continue into the future or, or for example, like on the mail-in balloting, do you think that's something that you're just going to have to gear up in the future? People are going to do more of that than they ever have. COVID's just unleashed Pandora's box. And is that going to trigger any processes for you that are going to be different? Because I mean, the whole issue of mail-in balloting uh, that driven by COVID, you know, is a, and I can see this. I can see the argument. So there's a question of, of how much uh, f- potential fraud is out there from these. I mean, I, I, I know um, 
I'm originally from Massachusetts and my brother-in-law got, um, is, we were talking, uh, you know, a couple of months ago and he got an, an, a, a mail-in ballot in, in Massachusetts. You don't have to request it. They just sent it out to the voter rolls. I'm going to ask you your opinion on that in a minute, but they just sent it out. Whoever's on the list and he got his, and then he got one for his daughter who moved to Portland three or four years ago. And, uh, but there you go. There's her ballot. So that's a perfect example of like, who is checking the master database to make sure that. So, and he looked at it and goes, you know, I could just vote for Ashley right here. You know, I could just send it in and, um, you know, maybe they'd catch the signature, but who knows? Different States are checking signatures. Different States aren't. So, you know, if you had to frame a best practice here, like what are some of the things you'd say, Hey, every county should be doing this. If they're not doing this, um, or if this is happening, something's wrong, and it's we have to look at that. What would you say to that? Well, I would <clears throat> say to that, I am not in favor of sending every voter a mail ballot. Just for the fact is, people's voter rolls aren't clean. And like you said, ballots go out everywhere, and that's where fraud can happen. You have to, to me, voting is a right, but it's a privilege, too. So... You should have to request the ballot, mm-hmm. then you're expecting the ballot. And um, if if you're not expecting the ballot, you know, like you said, you can get four or five ballots to one household. But I really think this is going to continue, this huge quantity, because in Florida, you can request a ballot for up to two general elections. So that's four years. So a lot of these people on these uh, forms that came into us, if it didn't specify the general election, then we put them on for all four years that are coming up. What does that mean? Um, uh, for, to receive a mail ballot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and will that preclude them from, so what happens if someone sent in a mail-in ballot and you counted that and n- that number one, and, and uh, do you count those first or you count those ahead of time? Or you're not allowed to do that by state law. And then- once you do that, what happens if they show up and vote? How do you, how does that get caught? Okay, you're talking about best practices. The yeah. best practice I think we have here is we are allowed to open those mail ballots up to 22 days before the election. Mm-hmm. So we started three Sundays before the election. Actually counting and running them through. Opening well, it takes a long time. We had sure. a, we had 50 people in there opening 21,000 mail ballots, and then wow. you run them through the system. And so we kept doing that. Now, there were some states that they weren't allowed to open them till the day of the election. So that sounds to me like makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I totally understand you You want to make sure, like if we're going to do, um, give us, you know, give people time to, to count the votes ahead of time, I wouldn't want to release those to the public. No, 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 we can't release can't do them. That. No, but when you were asking before, once we accept that mail ballot, your record's marked. So if you try to go vote in person... You won't be allowed to. We have electronic poll books so mm-hmm. that when you sign in, if you if you requested the ballot but hadn't voted it, it's going to say we you've been mailed a ballot. And then you say, you know, do you have the ballot with you? If they have it, then we spoil it. If they don't have it, we still let them vote as long as it doesn't say you have voted a mail ballot. Already. Now, do you keep the data on people that have showed up or is data being kept about people who have done that? I'm sure most of them have did it just because they had brain farts and it's like, oh, uh, you know, whatever. But some of them not. And and being, you know, having spent a lot of time in the insurance industry, we did this thing like database scrubbing of multiple policies, you know, for the, the, the same person with different carriers. And then that's how fraud happens. Right. So, um, you know, what what can you do on that that score to kind of sort of, you know, prevent that from happening? Really, I think most of the time when people come in, they're elderly, mm-hmm. and we had sent the ballot out 40 days ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So they voted that, and then four weeks later, they're hearing about the election, and they forgot that they voted that already yeah. and try to go in in person. Very few people come in that have already voted by mail. Yeah. Um, usually, it's they have a vote-by-mail request on file and did yeah. not send it in, so they're there to vote. So you don't see that as a problem? No. Okay. And a lot of people came in to submit their mail ballot to us. More right. than I've seen a lot of other times. And I'm not voting this mail ballot. I want to vote here in person today. And mm-hmm. they would give us their mail ballot back and we let them vote there in person that day. So um, so I think we've 
believe that IRC, that what we do here is, uh, is at least most of the things are, should be copied by other states in Florida as well. Um, what are some areas of improvements that you see that where, okay, we do a pretty good job here in Indian River County and in Florida generally, but we really should fix these things. What are some of those? We would love a national voter database. Woo! Yes. Is that yeah. even legal? Constitutional? I don't know. But at least, I mean, like, we did a statewide voter registration database. Right. So so why would it be so hard to do some kind of national? Who would manage that? You know, it could be the you know, heads of each state, the governor's office of every state can kind of get together and maybe so it's have a one. commonly owned in other words it's not a it's not an agency in washington dc sure. it might be, be okay so back to what i just talked about the insurance company model insurance companies figured this out uh, a, a long time ago and they put together a company that was originally called insurance services offices iso and all the big insurance companies the all states the state farms were partners they owned shares and it was sort of a mutually benefit and they would all load up their policy databases or the key, you know, this person at this address has a homeowner's policy right here so, because you cannot have two homeowner's policies, um, you know, both in force for the same person in the same address. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. They ask you that specifically when you're applying for a, uh, a policy. So, but that's how fraud, that's one of the big things with fraud back then is like you'd have, all right, I'm going to have a policy with Allstate and one with State Farm. And then submit, have my claim and then submit it to both places and get paid twice. They said, no, we're going to scrub it. So we're going to do that data matching to, 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 to spit that stuff but out. Basically what this ERIC program is, right. everybody yeah. would join that. And what about some uh, universal election laws? I mean, why can you have a ballot count four days after if it's postmarked and other places it has to be right on election day. It just doesn't seem fair. Yeah. This is one of the things that I struggle with as someone who really wants, respects the constitution, see how brilliant and powerful it is when they authorize the States, they give the States that power. We know like free speech that comes with some unintended negative consequences. And, you know, I would, it makes perfect sense what you're saying, but then I think to myself, you know, is what other Pandora's box stuff are we opening if we did that? How would you manage that? So maybe you have the states. Um, it's a national database, but the, I guess I need to. We should learn more about this Eric system, where the state governors and and the the election supervisors in the states are all part of that committee. They share the data, and just to make sure that they have clean voter rolls. Mm-hmm. That's a really great idea. Is that what Eric does? Yes. So it would be a national voter database, but not run by an agency of the federal government. It's run by the collective states themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if everybody brings what they have to the table, which is their voter rolls, and now we know, all right, you lived in, you live in California and you voted in California. Now we're not going to let you vote here or whatever. And only 29 states have signed up for that? Yes, so far. Have you, I mean, what are some of the, have you talked with any of your peers in other states that have not signed up and have they give you any reasons why that? But I know we're the largest state that mm-hmm. signed up for it now. Really? Mm-hmm. So that tells me California's not part of that or New York. Why wouldn't close. they want to be part of that? Hmm. hmm. Inquiring minds <laughs> hmm. like to know. To go talk to hmm. them about that. Um, so um, I know you, you, you've probably been following some of the uh, um, the sort of, uh, we've got about five minutes left here, so we'll kind of finish on this topic. Some of the election snafus that have been having bad vote counts and failing voting machines. Um, and I know that, you know, we don't so much have that here in Florida. But do you think, just based on your experience, are there any legs to some of these uh, these assertions? I mean, um, President Trump is throwing out a lot of stuff that this is a fraud, fraudulent election. And I, I feel very confident about the process here in Indian River County and Florida generally. And I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt on these things. But I'm not, I don't want to be stupid either. What's the state? Do any of these things have legs, uh, do you think, some of these claims that are being made? I don't like to speculate on what they do and don't do in other states because mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with their equipment as I am with ES&S and what we have here. So. But ES&S is used by lots of states. I mean, they're the biggest Correct. provider out there. Mm-hmm. But even though that's the, the particular voting system, you have a lot of processes and people that, that go around. It's not just the hardware and software, it's you guys making it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So do you see any, um, you know, I would encourage every state to run their operations the way we run it here in Indian River mm-hmm. County, then they shouldn't have any issues. However, I don't know how they're running it in Michigan or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or Texas. So I can't speak to what potentially could be a problem and what's not. I know we keep logs of everything. So I, I can tell you, we don't really lose sticks or anything like that. We don't lose votes. Also, but I don't know what they Shane, do. At every polling place, they have to fill out a form and the number of people that check in to vote mm-hmm. has to equal the number of ballots that were cast, right. whether they were cast in the machine or whether spoiled. they were spoiled. I mean, you like, have to have an accounting to, for all the ballots that the you receive. Not like, oh, you know, it's a thousand votes. No. Yeah, no, to the vote. close enough to the vote. And the, the same vote. thing happens with the early voting. Every night we reconcile the number of people that have checked in with the number of votes that are on the equipment. I mean, everything is a check and balance. And our poll workers at the locations, we do the best job we can of splitting them, reps, Dems, MPAs, stuff like that. So it's not all just one, all Republicans at one area, all Dems at another. There's poll workers differing parties at every single location. Did we have election? Did we have uh, observers uh, in the precincts? Okay. We had that as well. We've heard that uh, in Philadelphia there, they said they didn't allow those uh, observers for some period of time, and then when they did, they had to stay like 20 feet away. It's like, what did we do here? Well, I kind of feel like we had some that were in our office. I said, come sit right next to me. I mm-hmm. want to show you. Because unless you see how people mismark their ballots, you would not believe it. Yeah. Or that they would vote for two or three people for president. I mean, mm-hmm. I like to show them because That's cool. it kind of dispels some of the misconceptions out there because, you know, I heard this, I heard that. And I'm like, here, look at this. Look, see how they marked it. (laughs) That's unbelievable. So um, this has been great. This has been a terrific um, education for me. And I definitely know it will be for our listeners Mm -hmm. now. And that makes me feel great about my locally grown government here in Indian River County, that we're doing things right. And they were a model maybe for the rest of the country. Now, do you have, kind of a process and procedures manual that uh, I'm sure you do, but is that a, is there a place where you can share that with uh, the state? Is the state helping facilitating best practices like it should? Well, we have our association of supervisors of elections and we're very close. All of us, all 67, it's state. And we usually meet twice a year and, you know, we say, we're not stealing anything. We, we give it to each other because we mm-hmm. want everyone to be successful because if one of us fails, then the entire state looks bad. So we constantly are honing things that we do in the office and, and upgrading things and learning new processes. And it's kind of fun, you know. We, we, we change the way we do, do things and try to make it more efficient each time. So have you learned some stuff from others that uh, you've incorporated into your system? Always. Does that happen? Always. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Even other states with CIRA certification, which was a few of us that are certified. In, in from the election center, which is a national organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have several people in the office that, that have received that national certification. And that's kind of interesting because you hear what other states do. But they don't necessarily have the same laws that you do, so right, you right. can't. I'll come down to the state's election laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Leslie Swan and Shane Bias. This has been terrific, and uh, that's our show for today, folks. I would encourage you all, if you haven't already, to head to my website at www.jimfeeney.com and sign up to receive my newsletter uh, and uh, notice of my podcasts. All you need is your email, and it's free. All subscribers will also, uh, if they give me their mailing address, they'll get a signed copy of my book, Locally Grown, The Art of Sustainable Government, and be eligible to appear in future podcasts as guests. And you'll also be joining a movement to unite our country on rock-solid middle ground. So remember, united we stand, divided we fall, each one for the other, and all for all. Take care.